Good evening and welcome to Midway tonight. We're so thankful you're here. We have guests again tonight. We appreciate that. I want to invite you to be with us every opportunity that you may have. If you have your Bible, you may want to be turning to the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been spending time there all year this year. As we begin our lesson tonight, though, I want you to think about 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And when I mention that chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, probably one of the first things that comes to your mind is, oh, that's the love chapter. We read about love, and there's a lot of things that are said there in regard to love. But if I turned you two chapters further, if I asked you to go to chapter 15, what would you say about chapter number 15? Just like 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, sometimes 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is known as the resurrection chapter, and so we want to spend some time there tonight. As we think about 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in some ways it may be one of the most important chapters in all of the Bible. You know, it's hard for us as we think about one passage or one chapter or one book to pick one out and say, hey, this is probably more important than anything else. And I'm not necessarily suggesting tonight that this chapter is more important than anything else, but it is one of the most important chapters as we look at it, as we think about it. It is a full chapter. And we could spend probably a year talking about all of the things that are found in that one chapter, 58 verses of that one chapter. We could spend a lot of time dealing with that And we're not going to spend over two or three hours tonight in dealing with it, but we'll do our best to cover as much of it as is possible. As we think about it and think about the fact that it's so full and it's so important, we come to that conclusion because we read passages such as the first four verses. The Bible says, Paul says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved, If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He goes on in verse number 3 and says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. As we think about what is said in those first four verses, we understand One of man's or man's greatest need is to have salvation. We know that we're not going to spend eternity on this earth. We know that someday we will die or the Lord will come back and our bodies will be changed, as we'll talk about a little bit later tonight. But but we know that, that we want to be able to be right with God when we stand before Him on the day of judgment. So I need I need salvation from my sins. And so as I look at what is said here, rather than getting very bogged down here on the first four verses, I want us to look at just one phrase that's found there in verse number three, where the Apostle Paul says, for I deliver to you as of first importance. You may be reading from the King James or the New King James Version, which says something like this, for I delivered unto you first of all which I, that which I also received. The word that's translated here in the English Standard Version that we have on the screen as a first importance can mean like number one, two, three. It's a matter of uh, of first things. Or it can mean, as we have, and I believe is obvious right here, whatever it is that's being said, the the entirety of it hinges on that on that one thing. Now let's go to let's let's look at another verse real quick. 
In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 38, we remember that, that Jesus was asked upon one occasion what, what was the, the great commandment. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And remember what he said in verse number 38? After he made that statement, he said, this is the great and first commandment. What he said about loving the Lord our God is not necessarily the first commandment as in order of one, two, three, or four, but it is a matter of everything else hinges upon that. If we don't love God, and he said the second one was likened to it, to love our... If we don't love God, we're not going to seek to find Him. We're not going to seek to be obedient to Him. We're not going to seek to live with Him eternally. And so it is here when we think about the idea of the resurrection, the gospel that was preached, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which he mentions here in these first four verses. That is the thing upon which everything else hinges. That's, that's the most or one of the most important lessons that we could ever learn. If I were to ask you tonight, why is Jesus' resurrection of such great importance, how would you answer that? Well, let me give you four reasons tonight, very quickly. When we think about this idea of Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' resurrection is a great, uh, one of the greatest proof, or the greatest proof, if you will, of the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you remember what the Bible has to say in regard to that? Romans chapter 1 at verse number 4, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. When Jesus walked on water, it showed He had power. It showed He was from God. When Jesus healed those who were sick, it showed He had power. It showed He was from God. When Jesus turned that small amount of food into enough to feed 5,000 men plus women and children, it showed he had great power. But when he was resurrected from the dead, the very thing that it suggested is not just that he had great power, but it's who he, he is who he said he was. He is the Son of God. And so he marched out of that grave he was resurrected. He came back from the death that he had experienced on the cross to be proven to be the Son of God. And so lesson number one or reason number one why the resurrection is so important is it very uh, uh, bluntly, if you will, teaches us that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But number two, as we think about it, Jesus' resurrection assures us of a coming day of judgment. You see, if it's true that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he was resurrected again, that he came out of that grave, if we can believe that that is true, we can also believe that one day we will stand before him in judgment. Do you remember what Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31 say? And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Well, why is that? Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he raised him from the dead. If Jesus came out of that grave, 
we will stand before him on the judgment day. And so it's important to us because we know that we're going to face him. But then number three, when we think about Jesus' resurrection, we understand that Jesus' resurrection is important because of his resurrection. We can have forgiveness of sins. Now that brings us back to where we're studying tonight from the book of 1 Corinthians. In chapter number 15, what, what does the Bible have to say in regard to that? Well, drop on down, if you will, for the sake of uh, our time tonight, to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 13 through 19. Paul makes an argument there. He says, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be mis misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we're of all people most to be pitied. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, if he didn't come out of that grave, there's not a single saint that has gone on, not a single Christian that has gone on, not a single loved one who, who was obedient to the Lord for his or her entire life that has any hope of living with God forever. You see, without the resurrection of Christ, then he's a liar, Paul's a liar. That makes me a liar because I've been telling people what Paul said for a long, long time. If there's no resurrection, folks, we have no forgiveness. And as he said at the end of that reading that we looked at there in verse number 19, out of all the people in all the world, poor Christians are the, are, are the most to be pitied because we have placed everything on Christ. So that's number four, three. What about number four? Well, resurrection is, is important again because of Jesus' resurrection. We too can know that we will be resurrected. That death is not all there is. That when we die, we have hope of living again. Uh, again, that brings us back to what is said in the book of, uh, of 1 Corinthians. Look at chapter 15 at verse number 20 where he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And then notice this next reading, this next phrase, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He came back. He was, he was not the very first one to ever come back from the grave. He raised Lazarus from the dead, didn't he? Uh, there were others that he raised from the dead. There were some from the Old Testament who were raised from the dead. There were... Others who had died and they had been resurrected, but what happened to them again? They had to go through that all over again. Jesus is different. Jesus died, was resurrected, never to die again. Never to die again. What did he do? He defeated death, didn't he? He defeated it. 
And he did it not just for himself, but he did it for us. And so as we look at it then, we can understand something about our own resurrection. Do you remember what he said back in John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29? Back there, Jesus promised, he says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. If Christ hasn't been raised, then there's no way we could count on that resurrection. Whether whether we're on the good side or we're on the bad side. But Christ has been raised. So we can look forward to, to that resurrection, to standing again. That's really what the word means. To stand again. That brings me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35. If that is the case, then probably we're going to have some questions. And that's what Paul anticipates. He says, uh, some of you probably are going to have some questions. He says, someone will ask, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? Now, we understand it's by the power of God that they're raised. We, we know that. And, and we could talk a little bit more in, in regard to what is said there about the how from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But I want us to spend the time that we have together tonight on that last part. What kind of body do they have? You know, if, if we go up here to the cemetery with a family and we lay a loved one in the grave and we do our best to comfort that love, that, that family in the death of their loved one who's been faithful. And we say we've come as far as we can with this old physical body. But one day, one day, Christ will call all who are in the grave. He'll call them out. Well, what kind of body are they going to have? What, what is it that, what, what are they going to be like? And Paul says, I want to talk to you about that. I want to write I want to write about that a little bit. I want you to understand just a few things about that. And that's where we'll spend the rest of our time tonight out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, looking at some of the things that the Apostle Paul has to say about that body, the body that will be resurrected. As in the first place, let's talk about that body as relates to its durability. Uh, that word is a word that I read in regard to that. It's, it was on an outline that I had seen a long time ago. What about the durability of the body that's going to come out of the grave? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. Now, there's two words there that we want to talk about for a minute or so tonight. First, that word Perishable. He's talking about that body that we're putting in the grave. He said that body is, is perishable. If we were to look at that word in its original language, we would see that it's a compound word. It's made up of, of two words. takes two of them to make one. And, and the first part of what is said there in, in that word, the first word, is, literally means to give oneself Holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, to give oneself holy to. And the second word that goes into that compound word just means decay, corruption, or destruction. And so when you put those two words together, what you have 
is this idea of the, the, the perishable body, it lends itself, it gives itself wholly to corruption, wholly to decay, wholly to destruction. If you let this old body stay long enough, it's going back to the dust, isn't it? If you let it stay long enough, you won't find any trace of it. The old bones even will go back to the dust themselves. It is totally giving itself to decay. But on the other hand, that resurrection body, in regard to its durability, it comes out imperishable. That too is a compound word made up of two words. The first one means, again, the same as before, to give oneself wholly to. And the second word means incorruptibility or more, more down to where we understand it, unending existence. You see, the body that we will have, that resurrected body, is a body that lends itself, that gives itself wholly to unending existence. You know, even before we die, while we're here on this earth, this old body begins to break down, doesn't it? If we live long enough, we're going to get sore knees and sore shoulders and other sore spots that we, we, we may not even know we used to didn't even know we had. But that resurrection body won't have a single one of those because there's nothing to wear out. There's nothing about it that will lend itself to decay because it is lending itself wholly to unending existence. When we think of the old fleshly body, we're reminded of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 at verse 20. All go to one place. All are from the dust. To the dust all return. We think about Psalm 103 verses 14 through 16. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. In John chapter 11 verses 38 and 39, when Jesus had one of his own friends pass away, one of those on earth that meant a lot to him, he went to where the family was. He actually had waited until he died before he went. But, but when he goes, you remember he meets a man by the name of Lazarus. He meets the sisters, Mary and Martha. And, and Jesus goes out to, the, to where the tomb is. And it was a cave and there was a stone that lay against it, according to what John chapter 11 verse 38 tells us. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Do you remember what Martha said? Martha said, He has been dead already four days. If we take that stone away, it's going it, to, it, Lord, it's going to stink. Can you imagine a sister who, who loved her brother? What she must have thought when the Lord asked for the stone to be removed? It was more than just. She feared the smell. She knew what the body was going through. 
itself was decaying. That's where the smell was coming, would have come from. That's the fleshly body. But in contrast to that, we have the spiritual body. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Watch this, verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Folks, we're going to need a body that matches the place where we live. That matches our new home. That new home is a place that won't perish. We've got a body that matches it. And so we come to verse 54, if we drop on down, when the perishable, that perishable body, puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, what? Death is swallowed up in victory. Won't need to die anymore. Won't have to die anymore. You know what a curse it would be if we had to live in this old body? Forever? Just getting older and older and older? Without having that new body? Death is swallowed up in victory. When the perishable has put on the imperishable, death is gone. Jesus won not just for him. Jesus will have won for all of us. So when we talk about the durability of the body, it's one that is made to last forever. Let's talk about for just a moment tonight this new body, this resurrection body as it relates to its value or its potential. Look at verse 43. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 43, first part of that verse, it, that body, this body that we're living in now is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. What does Paul mean that it's sown in dishonor? Sown in dishonor. Let me read from Barnes in his commentary. He has a uh, a few things to say in regard to that. He said, It is sown in dishonor in the grave where it's shut out from human view, hurried away from the sight of friends, loathsome and offensive as a mass turning to decay. There is, moreover, a kind of disgrace and ignominy attending it here as under the curse of God and on account of sin sentenced to be the offensiveness of the grave. Well, Mr. Barnes, what did you just say? Well, to break that down, what he said is this. Do you know why we put bodies in the grave? Because we know what happens to them. So we hide them away. So we don't have to watch it. Sort of like that dishonorable thing. We don't have to see it. Not to be in any way disrespectful, but just as Martha said, we don't have to smell it because we know what happens. We put bodies in the grave for that reason. 
Now, thankfully today, we, we embalm people and, you know, we preserve that body more. But we still get rid of the body. Sown in dishonor. Clark says about it, being now stripped of all the glory it had as a machine, fearfully and wonderfully made by the hands of God and also consigned to death and destruction because of sin, this is the most dishonorable circumstance. But it's raised in glory. The word glory means dignity, splendor, honor, excellence, perfection. And as Barnes goes on, he says, is here used as denoting the combination of all those things which shall rescue it from the ignominy and disgrace. Gill puts it this way. In perfect beauty and comeliness, without the least blemish, defect, or imperfection, nor will there be any part of, uh, will there be any part of it that will occasion shame. It will be metamorphosed and fashioned like the glorious body of Christ. It will shine as the sun and be as the brightness of the firmament. Do you see the difference? This old body that we have that decays, that grows old, Oh, it's really bad. Bad when we put it in the grave. That new body, that resurrected body, nothing, nothing, nothing that could ever be shameful. Nothing that could ever in any way be anything other than excellent, glorious. Think about the value of possessing a body of that nature. The value. I'm not talking about in dollars and cents. We'd never have enough money to buy something that great. But the value of being able to live with that kind of body. But a little bit more. Let's talk about it as it relates to its ability. Staying in verse 43, look at the last part of that verse. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. Sown in weakness. What do, you, what do you mean by that? Well, let me read you a little bit about what is said by John F. MacArthur. He said, Our present bodies are characterized by weakness. We're weak not only in physical strength and endurance, but also in resistance to disease and harm. Despite the marvelous natural protective mechanisms of the human body, no one is immune from breaking a bone, cutting a leg, catching various infections, and eventually from dying. We can and should minimize unnecessary dangers and risk to our bodies, which for believers are temples of the Holy Spirit. But we cannot completely protect them from harm, much less from death. Our earthly temples are inescapably temporary and fragile. 
Now again, let me break that down for us. What did he just say? He said this. He says, you can do everything you can to protect this human body. The one that you're living in now. But somewhere along the way, you're going to get a cut. Somewhere along the way, you may break a bone. Somewhere along the way, you're going to catch a cold. Or you may get the flu. Or, or you may have some kind of, uh, of cancer that, that ravages your body. You can protect it as best you can. You can jog a hundred miles a day. You, you can eat the very best that medicine says that, that we're to eat. Today, one thing. Next week, it'll be something else that they change to. But you can't completely protect this old weak body. You can't even keep it always from getting a cold, much less keep it from dying. It is sown in weakness. But good friends, Paul said it's raised in totally opposite. It is raised in power. Raised in power. Not necessarily the power like God has, that, nor like the angels what they have, but, but what we're talking about is the direct opposite of the weaknesses that we read, that, 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 we, that we know, that we have here on this earth. And you know, even more than that, as some of the commentators point out in regard to this passage, they point out the fact that when we get to our heavenly home, that things will be different. Notice a verse in the book of Roman, uh, Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, verse number 15, John pins these words for us. He says, Therefore they are before the throne of God, and they serve Him. And I want you to, I want you to pay attention to this next phrase. They serve Him day and night. In his temple. And he who sits on the throne shall shelter them with his presence. Think about what, what he says. When we, when we get to our eternal home, we will serve the Lord day and night. We understand from the reading of the book of Revelation, there, there's really no such thing as night there. But he has to write things so we understand them, so we comprehend them. And so what he says is we will continually serve the Lord, day and night. Now if we go back into our mind, our way of thinking, how many of you work a job day and night? I know, I know sometimes people do that. Maybe they have two jobs. They, they work all day at one. They, they go to another one or they go to school or they do some other thing. And Do you ever get tired? Do you ever get tired? I mean, how long can you do that? How long can you, how long can you keep that up? Well, sometimes we may be able to keep it up for years. Some people do. I'm going to tell you something. You'll eventually get tired. You'll eventually wear out. Right? Not in heaven. 
Not with a spiritual body. Sown in weakness. Raised in power. What about Revelation chapter 22 at verse number 5? Night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the God, Lord God will be their light. They will reign forever and ever. We think about it every day, serving God and never needing sleep, never needing to rest, never needing to sit down, just to take a few minutes because the resurrection body is raised in power different from what we have now. But then one more. What about as it relates to its realm of existence? Paul goes on in verse 44, the very next verse, he says, it's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Again, I know I've mentioned Barnes several times tonight, but he, he does some pretty good writing on this particular subject in uh, this particular chapter. But here he says, according uh, about verse 44, he said, Not a mere spirit, for then it would not be a body. It's not just our spirit that's coming out of the grave. It's our body. It is sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. Not a mere spirit, for then it would not be a body. The word spiritual here stands opposed to the word natural or animal. It will not be a body that's subject to the laws of the vital functions or organized or sustained in that way. It will be a body, but it will have so far the nature of spirit as to be without the vital functions which, are, which here control the body. This is all that the word here means. It does not mean refined, sublimated, transcendental. It does not mean that it will be without shape or form. It does not mean that it will not be properly a body. But as it relates to the realm of its existence, it's fitted for the spiritual realm where God lives. To be with Him, to be like Him, to be His. Now, I want us to spend just a minute or two thinking about the resurrection body of Jesus. What did Jesus look like when He came out of the grave? Now, I'm not asking you to draw me a picture or anything like that tonight, but I just want you to think about some of the things that the Bible has to say. We realize that Jesus, when he came out of the grave, he had essentially the same physical body after the resurrection that he had when he died on the cross. Did he? Did he not? I mean, when you go to Luke chapter 24, verse 39... Jesus stands before his apostles and says, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. Essentially the same that he had. Again, Luke 24, verses 42 and 43. They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate before them. He had essentially the same physical body 
that he had when he, when he was crucified. What about Acts 10 verse 41? Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Did you realize the Bible had that much to say? John chapter 20, verses 25 through 29. John records this. He says, So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later. His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Jesus was raised out of that grave. And as he was raised, he had essentially the same physical body. What happened to that one? What happened to it? You realize that he had taken on the appearance of a man before. Back in the book of Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, when he came to see Abraham, do you remember what Abraham did? He prepared a meal for him. They ate. We could go back there. We could talk about Genesis chapter 9 or 19, verse number 3, and which says, But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. When they went down to Sodom and Gomorrah, the angels. Look at verses 51 and 52. Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. As we think about this body and its realm of existence, I can't tell you exactly how it's going to look. But I believe every indication is that it's going to look much the same as we now look. Now, sometimes we may laugh at that and say, I sure wish he'd work on me a little bit. Well, folks, he's going to work on you a lot. Because the Bible says, we will be Changed, fitted for eternity in the spirit world, but with a spiritual body. What does he mean by being changed? 
Again, I don't know that I comprehend all that Paul is expressing to us. I'm not sure that I get the entire picture. But I think some of this may be wrapped up in it. Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. Heard a voice from heaven saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. And he'll wipe away all tears. Every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. You see the descriptions that was given, sown in dishonor, raised in glory. All of those things we've talked about, they're all alluding to that spiritual body that has God with it, who will be there, as it were, and again, expressing to us in a way that we can begin to grasp it, that He'll be there to wipe the tears from our eyes, But it's that latter part where there's no more mourning or crying or pain because that's all gone. It's all passed away. It's no longer with us. Several years ago, I was teaching, still called it the third Thursday class, but I was back in Atwood And in that third Thursday class that we were having one year, we studied about heaven, we studied about the resurrection. One of the students in that class was a brother by the name of Rundle Agee. He passed away in December of 2012, what had been almost six years ago now. And on December the 28th of 2012, I stood in front of the audience This was after we moved here, but I got a call. Stood in front of an audience that completely filled the chapel at the funeral home in Huntington, Tennessee. But back during that third Thursday class, we had studied 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we'd made many of the same points. And after the class that day, Brother Rundle, he, he came to me and said, I want you to preach my funeral. And I want you to use that lesson at my funeral. And so when, when he died, Miss Charlene, she reminded me about the message that he wanted preached from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You see, Brother Rundle... He wanted that kind of body. He wanted to be resurrected, raised from the dead, to have what Paul describes. Whether we fully understand it or not, that's what he wanted. You know what? It's that kind of body that all the faithful can look forward to receiving. Whether we fully grasp and understand it or not, we can believe that it's true. And the very least that we can say about it, it is so much more advanced, so much better than what we have now, that I've just got to have one 
like that. I would give anything to have a body like that. Well, my question to you tonight is this. Would you give your life to the Lord to have a body like that? Because that is the price. That's what it cost. And just as sure as he came out of that grave himself, he's made it possible and promised that that's what we can have. And so tonight, what would you give for that body? Would you give your life to the Lord? Brother Rundle A.G. was one of the one of the most kind, gentle, Christian human beings who has ever walked the face of this earth. He was by no means perfect, but he believed in his Savior, and he served him faithfully. And he looked forward to the day, the day when he would be resurrected from the dead, when Christ comes again, so that he can have Not the old 83-year-old body, but that new body. Resurrected. What about you? Do you need to make your life right with God tonight? To be baptized, to have your sins washed away in the precious blood of Jesus Christ who died, was buried, and was raised to save you? Maybe you're here tonight and, and there's something that you need to correct in your life. Sister Sharon came this morning and, and asked for the prayers of the church. It may be tonight that you need to do the same that, that she has done today. Because you want to be right with God. You want to be faithful to Him. You want to be able to have that eternal body to spend eternity with God forever and ever. If you need to come tonight, why don't you do it right now as we stand and as we sing.